0: Welcome to the inaugural Club Talk podcast with our hosts, Deb and Raf. It's 30th of August 2021, and it just so happens September is the first anniversary of the launch of Clubs Without Borders, so we're excited to kick off our new podcast in addition to our completely independent industry advisory and training offering. Our first year has been very exciting and difficult all at the same time due to the COVID-19 pandemic. However, we have travelled in excess of 17,000 kilometres to train hundreds of staff and directors across Australia. We have delivered too many conferences and facilitated various strategic planning sessions despite the challenge of experiencing three separate lockdowns. COVID has certainly been a challenge, but we love what we do and the clubs we've visited, so we thank you for your wonderful support. Today, Deb chats to Raf about the CEX Club's current lockdown and how the CEX community crew has cemented the club's community engagement and relationships with both the community and his own team. And remember, if there's any topic you would like them to discuss in future podcasts, just send an email to Deb and Raph at admin at clubswithoutborders.com.au. So welcome Deb and Raf to our first podcast. Hi, and welcome to our first Club
1: Talk podcast. Clubs Without Borders turns one this month, so we're excited to kick off our first podcast and have a great schedule of topics coming up, so watch this space. Let me introduce you to our co-host, the CEO of the CEX Group, although the big man needs no introduction. Hello, John Rafferty, and welcome and thanks for joining our Club Talk podcast team.
2: How are you, Deb? I hope everything's going well for you in this difficult time.
1: Yeah, not it's too COVID. bad. Eh? Very How good. How are you coping, Raff?
2: Yeah, all good. We're all good over here.
1: Good stuff. Well, Raff... As my co-host, I've decided to interview you first because knowing you as well as I do, I may not get another word in edgeways going forward, so I thought I'd have a go first.
2: Yeah, well, that's not unusual for you to do that, is it, thinking that you wouldn't get too many words in with me, but you don't need to tell all the listeners that, Deb.
1: Oh, okay. I could edit that out, but I probably won't. (laughs) And welcome to lockdown, Raf. So we're in day 67 with 30-odd days to go, and I'm on the Northern Beaches, so this is our third lockdown, and it's your second, isn't it?
2: Yeah, look, we had a fortnight and now we we're in until the 10th of September at this stage. I don't think we'll be open before October either. But, you know, hoping that we get double vaccinations for everybody and that'll give us a great opportunity to be able to open in October.
1: Because you've had very few cases up there, haven't you?
2: Yeah, we haven't had any cases actually. We had one case of a Sydney construction worker who was working on site at Shoreline a Development just near the plaza there. And that person was from Sydney and was traveling back. And there were no other cases outside of him. So other than people who've been registered, who returned on the Ruby Princess way back when we first started last year, or people who have been hospitalized in Sydney, but their address is in Coffs Harbour. We've actually had no cases in Coffs.
1: That's good, isn't it?
2: I joke with some people to say it's because of all the spraying for bananas. So I think that, you know, they talk about COVID, if they're looking for something to cover off on that, that's what they should be doing.
1: (laughs) You're an idiot. If it wasn't for the Ruby Princess, who knows where we might have been, although hindsight's a great thing.
2: It's very easy to say that, but look, it's the Delta strain that's far worse than the COVID before. You know, if we hadn't got the Delta strain this time, we'd all be back opening because we're all starting to open and live relatively similar life to what we had before the Delta strain, which is a far more contagious strain. But, you know, as with any virus, it's going to continue to mutate and then get another level that will be difficult again to maintain. But we've got to learn to live with them when you're dealing with a pandemic.
1: Yeah, that's right. We're all double vaccinated here. You vaccinated?
2: Yeah, I get my second one on Thursday. So, you know, with AstraZeneca, we had to wait 12 weeks from the first time to the last. So a lot of people I know have had Pfizer got vaccinated after I did, and they've already got their second one. So they're pretty fortunate in that regard. But I'll be double vaccinated by Thursday.
1: Well, if nothing else, this Delta strain has certainly got people vaccinated. The queues in Sydney have been unbelievable, which is great to see.
2: Yeah, look, I think it's the second lockdown, Deb. You know, everybody wants to get out and about, able to live their life like they could before. You know, living in such constrained circumstances isn't good for anyone and it's not good for anybody's mental health or anything like that. So clubs will really benefit, I think, when we get to reopen purely because people will be looking for places to go out to again. And we're one of the best venues for it.
1: Sure, absolutely. So let's talk about COVID. What are some of the measures you and your team have put in place to ensure the safety of your members, guests, and of course, the staff going forward?
2: Yeah, look, obviously, we've been double signing people in, checking people in the whole way. We've even got systems in place that we can bar postcodes if their different suburbs are considered hotspots or anything like that for our people. We regularly clean the place to make sure that the place is spotless so that people feel really safe when they come onto our venue. But moving forward, we'll be making sure all our staff are double vaccinated, people coming into the venue will be double vaccinated, and they'll need to show their green tick to enter our premises.
1: Good stuff. Now, do you think the Coffs Harbour community are going to be okay with that, given that they've had no cases?
2: We're looking at becoming a vaccination hub. We've already been agreed with New South Wales Health. We're just waiting for the computer systems to be put in place so that they can actually be able to operate from on our premises. And then I think that'll get more and more people in Coffs Harbour. Everybody wants to go and travel and do things. So more and more people, when you explain that to them, they're coming out and getting vaccinated. So I don't see any problem even with Coffs Harbour people.
1: That's fantastic, isn't it? And you're the one person that travels more than anybody I know?
2: Yeah, look, that's been pretty difficult for me. But you know, look, I still got in a little bit of travel in between there before we got the lockdowns, you know, because I've got family in Perth, obviously, with my parents over there. So I often have to get to Western Australia, but trying to get across the West Australian border now is harder than getting into Fort Knox. So I think it's going to be pretty difficult in the future. I probably won't see my parents for Christmas. And actually, I think it'll be a bit easier going to other places. But I think if the government's really smart and they open up double vaccinations and they start to let people from Sydney and the places that want to travel and move forward, go to Bali, I think West Australia will get a big backlash on the Premier over there because Really, if you saw any of the footage from the Kabul, Afghanistan problems they've got over there, that'll be a bit like the first plane load going from Perth to Bali when they open up.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. But how gut wrenching is that footage from Afghanistan?
2: Oh, look, there's no easy solution in any of those situations, you know, and it's very difficult in those sorts of wars when you only have to look at the amount of countries that have been into Afghanistan and nobody's ever been a winner when they've gone there. So it's very difficult when you're trying to change people's lives, you know, but the only fortunate thing that has come out of that probably from the last 20 years is at least ladies have been able to become educated in that period of time. And they had roads and hospitals and buildings built that they wouldn't have had if it hadn't been for the group looking after them from Australia, America and England and the other foreign countries that have been in support in that regard.
1: Yeah. Oh, look, I agree. It's just really hard to see. I've got to tell you, particularly in your lockdown, I've avoided watching the news because everything's so depressing.
2: I think that's right, Deb, you know, and we've got to be really conscious of that when you're in lockdown, because it's very easy to become more and more depressed if you don't get out and do something yourself. One of the biggest things for people to do is to do some exercise and keep yourself active. But it's very easy if you start getting bad news on everything when you open up, you know, it's bad enough for Australia getting the number of COVID cases kept hold to you every day, you know, at 11 o'clock. Where's the vision for when we're going to reopen? You know, at least if you had some target dates, people would feel a little bit more confident about how they're moving forward with life.
1: As much as I didn't want an extended lockdown, at least Gladys said that it's 30 September, not this week-by-week week stuff. I was struggling with the week-by-week week stuff because you don't know what you're going to do. I think we'll get out the 30th September, I hope.
2: It's very good when they go, look, it'll depend on how it is. We know that the biggest thing they're always trying to protect is the hospitals, you know, like elective surgery has been off the cards for quite a while now. And you've got people who are looking to get those surgeries completed. And it's very difficult when you've got the amount of COVID cases that are going in and filling up our wards.
1: Yeah. Well, as you know, my mum's got dementia and she's in hospital at the moment, which has been really tough because I can't visit her. She doesn't know where I am. And she's much better when she's got a familiar face around. But I was talking to one of the nurses, in fact, yeah ER doctor it was. And she was saying, not only do they have half the number of beds so that they're spread apart, she's also in very, this heavy protective gear and she can't work as efficiently in that gear and she's sweating and all that sort of stuff. So things that you don't even think about.
2: Oh no, it's really difficult. You only have to look at when you wear a mask. If you wear glasses, you know, people tell me their glasses fog up and things like that. So you can see how difficult it would be having to wear all that gear that they've got to wear and particularly we're in the winter at the moment, wait till we get into summer where it'll be even hotter when you're putting all that gear on.
1: There's a whole lot of issues around this. But anyway, I remember when the first lockdown occurred, who would have guessed this would have happened? But I remember when I started ringing clubs to see how everybody was. There was only one club that comes to mind that actually had a pandemic in their risk management plan. So shout out to Grafton X Services Club, who actually had it in their risk management plan. But I guess now Raf. All clubs are going to have policies and procedures and allow for the risk of different pandemics in the future.
2: Oh, look, that's moving forward with everything, you know, and we're also going to see it with insurance and workers' comp in the future, you know, where we still don't really know when a person's had COVID, what the real side effects are for the future. You're hearing from different people, you know, when you listen to reports from America and England about people who've had COVID and some of the problems recurring to them now that they haven't got their life back to the same level they were even after having COVID the first time. It affects everybody differently, obviously, but there will be issues with your staff if they get it in that situation and how we do moving forward is whether they can work as efficiently as they would.
1: Sure. At the end of the day, we're lucky to be in Australia, seriously.
2: We're very lucky to be in Australia and everybody should keep remembering that.
1: Absolutely. Could not agree more. So let's get into more fun stuff. Yep. Look, I'm a Coffs girl, as you know, and I remember when you first went to Coffs Harbour, the club didn't really have the community engagement that you would expect in a regional town. But now your community engagement and reputation in town, I have to say, is second to none. So without boosting your ego, Raf, I talk about your club in all my training sessions. And it seems to me that this success is largely due to your community crew project. So... You don't miss that when I go back to Coffs, the big green bus running around. So tell us about your CX community crew, how it works and how it came about.
2: Look, Deb, what happened is the CX community crew always was the issue was the amount of checks you write for different organisations. And they might go to the person who wrote the letter to get the money, but nobody really knew what was going on. So we took the view that we'd form a community club group, which is an organisation that takes great pride in supporting the communities. So, that we can operate to enrich the lives of people living and visiting in our community. The CX Community Engagement Program was established by the board in 2012 to strengthen the CX Group relationship with the local community, increase brand visibility, demonstrating the CX Group commitment to making a tangible difference in the community beyond traditional club presentations, and improve our employee engagement, developing team spirit, foster culture, and act as a recruitment tool because the community crew is our staff.
1: Fantastic. So the staff are obviously on board. Do they do that in their own time or in work hours, or how does that work?
2: The staff do it actually in their own time. So it's all volunteer hours by the staff. That's and it's recognised in our staff awards program as well that people get voting for that. And we also take anybody through in their orientation when they first come into the club, when they're taken around to show where everything is in the club and taken through what we do and what we are for the community. It's a big part of that engagement with our staff so that people are aware of how important it is to be engaged in that group. But a lot of staff have said to me, it's fantastic. You know, it gives them a sense of being once they get outside. And we really were looking at how young people weren't engaged to be volunteers in the past. So now they're seeing a reason of how they can give back and how much value they can get from it themselves.
1: Fantastic. So talk me through some of the projects you've done.
2: Look, some of the projects we've done, Debbie, is that the CX community crew, doing the sleep out, our CEO sleep out. That's one of the biggest ones we do and we often look to look after people in that one. But we have fundraising ones with Jeans for Jeans Day, Are you Okay Day, Movember. We also have a situation where we do it as an employee give back program and the CEX community crew are allowed to pick the causes they wanna work with. We've also worked with the disabled surfers to run a tournament in that regard. We also are involved with the triathlon the Coffs Harbour Triathlon, a number of major sporting events. We were even involved with getting people on and off buses for Elton John Concert when he was here. So it's not just looking after some social groups. We work on how we can help and add back to the community to make things run a lot more smoothly when we're involved with any big events that are held here.
1: Fantastic. So your marketing in town, talking about the Elton John Concert, when I went up there, anyone would think you personally brought Elton John to town?
2: Part of what we've done is we've engaged a good partnership with council. They have the stadium there. We took the naming rights of the stadium. And council's very pleased with how we operate to do those things. So that any time there's a big event put on, they always invite us to be involved at the time as the naming rights sponsor. So it works both ways. And we support them with those events, like I said, for their buses. So we had staff who volunteered their time. They were in the green shirts of the community crew. And they were helping people so people knew where to go to get on the buses when the buses were full to get the next bus to move forward for a big event like Elton John. So it was very good for us, you know, where council have done all the work to put that big event on, but we've got a lot of the branding that's gone with it to make it feel like we've been the good people who've brought Elton John to town.
1: I saw your logo all over the stadium and certainly all over the Elton John posters. It was fantastic.
2: It was a wonderful event. And how lucky were we, you know, before COVID hit in Coffs Harbour? He played the week before we got shut down in Australia. And he played in Coffs for two nights because his first show sold out so quickly. They ran a second show.
1: Fantastic. Look, as you know, I'm passionate about where people put their club grants dollars. And I've been saying to clubs for years, we've got to do a bit of due diligence as to where that money goes. Because as you said, clubs just hand over a cheque and get that photo opportunity without really understanding where that money goes. So you actually know where your money's going. So I think it's just fantastic. Yeah, look,
2: We want to build strong and sustained relationships with key community stakeholders and organizations. We wanted to improve the brand visibility and community perception of the CEX group. We wanted our core values to positively contribute to the culture of the town. And we wanted to make sure the employees that we recruit and engage are focused on doing that to actually put the CEX group first so that we make sure that every time when we work within our organization, that we're out there being a leader in the community where everybody likes to knock you for having gaming or for selling alcohol, that we are the facility in town that, you know, if you need some help, we can help you and that's what we're trying to get across to everybody.
1: With increasing competition, it's that sort of mindset. They're the clubs that are going to survive with that sort of mindset.
2: Correct. Look, you've got to set yourself apart. It's no good just thinking that, I'll just hand a check out here. It's making the really substantial effort to ensure that everything you do creates an impact that people really feel valued from what you do you know it's like while COVID's on at the moment we have 20 staff in at the moment ringing our members so that we make sure that all our members are being contacted and you know with our tiered loyalty system it's not our platinum and diamond members who are being rung we're ringing people who are living on their own mainly because in a COVID situation when you're in lockdown and you're at home on your own those people come to the club so they can actually meet people So that we are really trying to make sure that we make a difference, able to help those people from discussions we've had, Deb. I've talked to you numerous times about how I believe that the biggest problem we're going to have with COVID, and we're already starting to see it in news reports all the time now about mental health and the impact of all these lockdowns with just mental health issues.
1: Absolutely. Could not agree with you more. The isolation, you don't realise the first week of the lockdown, because I'm chair of community transport on here on the Northern Beaches. And I did the same. I jumped on our buses and went out to speak to our clients, if you like. The number of people who live on their own is mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. It's got to be very lonely for them.
2: Well, not only that, Deb, you know, it's even kids who are being homeschooled, you know, like it's not so bad, you know, we think about it when you're in our situation, you've been educated and you have an opportunity to be able to help your kids some of these kids who are trying to get ahead, you know, through no fault of their own, their parents don't have the education to be able to assist them at schooling, that they then start to fall behind. While they're able to mix at school with other kids, they can actually continue to keep up in class because they're learning from those other kids. You know, and I look back when I was growing up and the migrant families, the Italians and the Greeks, they came out in the 60s and when we were going to primary school and different ones, I had a few friends who were like that. Well, they'd go home and their parents only spoke Italian or Greek, you know? So it was very hard for them to learn English because they go home and they're talking Greek and Italian. So they would learn from us and we would help them when they were at school. And then they would actually teach their parents English when they got home. And, you know, I'd go and play at their houses or whatever. And you'd see them when they talk to their parents. It's a really good experience of the multicultural society Australia has But we have to understand that it's very difficult for some of those families, particularly in this time.
1: And as we all know, youth suicide's been an issue anyway. Young Christopher, my son Chris, has been to way too many funerals for mates and team members who've committed suicide. It's heartbreaking. And then of course, it makes me worry about him.
2: Yeah, look, it's really difficult, isn't it, to understand why people are like that. But look, You've got a lot of cyber bullying and how people treat people on Facebook and the different things with the internet, you know, where there's great things we've got from all those connections, but sometimes, you know, Facebook should have algorithms in their system that should be able to stop if there's swearing, for instance, or anything like that to try and help some of those kids or, you know, in situations where there's a lot of bad rubbish being pumped into our kids all the time, because... We live in a society in a bit of a bubble, otherwise, where you don't think it's happening because you're not involved in it or we're not on it. We're not using it, you know, but kids are. They're active in it. You know, whereas you think back to when we were growing up, you had TV, but you didn't have too much else. And then you'd go outside and play in the afternoon. Well, they don't. They're on the computers and they're texting people and mobile phones and everything else. So they'd never get away from it. When we left school, if you had a problem with a kid at school, you went home, you didn't see that kid till the next day. You know, if they have problems with a kid now at school, that pressure's on them the whole time. The person will be texting them or putting something on them about Facebook and different things like that. So very difficult for young, immature minds to be able to handle that situation.
1: I've just written an article about this. I haven't showed you yet, actually. When I was in early stages of high school, I think you and I have talked about this. I was bullied and I certainly got over it, but I've never forgotten it. But at least when I got home, I was safe. Of a night and weekends, I was safe, but I can't yep. imagine if that bullying continued online for 24 seven, how that might've affected me.
2: Absolutely. And that's the issue that I'm talking about, all those sorts of issues for people because the difficulties in that area, you know, and then so coupled with, the, you know, there was a little bit of marijuana around when we were growing up, but you know, you only have to look at the difficulties and the pressure they're under with drugs and alcohol now with the access that's out there far more than ever when we were growing up.
1: It's funny, you and I have talked about this numerous times over the years. We've got a lot of acquaintances in our life, but very few friends. I think we could count on one hand the number of real friends that you've got that you can say absolutely anything to. And I know you and I probably agree that you're one of those people for me. I can say absolutely anything and I know it's safe and that's a safe environment. So we're going to get into that. Our next guest, certainly with what you're talking about, the current difficulties and People and businesses are experiencing lockdown, the focus on mental health. For our next podcast, we're going to chat to my mate, Gus Warland. So, Gus left his breakfast radio show about a year ago to set up Got You for Life. And that's a foundation that strives to prevent suicide. And we're going to chat to Gus about the tools you can use to get those around you to open up and talk honestly about the stuff that really does matter, Raf.
2: Well, exactly right. People forget you need to make an effort. And sometimes we get caught up in time and COVID should have really shown a lot of people to make the effort to ring some people. You know, I rang some people that I've been doing, ringing some friends of mine, you know, you know, how I've lived all over Australia and traveled all over the place. So I've got people who I know, and they're not necessarily really close friends, but they're people I still know or played footy with or came across them through football. And I rang one the other day and I had a chat to him and he'd had a business and a sale fell through and he was feeling pretty down about a couple of things that happened. And he texted me later and said, oh, it was really good that you rang me. I felt much better and much more positive always when you speak to me, Raf, you know, and after I got off the phone. And I also got one of his mates text me today to say how good it was that I rang him, you know, and how positively talking to him helped him. And I just think, you know, we don't do enough of that where we ring people to make sure they're okay, or just check in on people so that A lot of times people can be living a lonely life without you realising and it can get really overwhelming for a lot of people.
1: Absolutely. Look, I think I said to you when my dad passed away, I really struggled with that, as you know. And I actually wrote an article about this last night as well, about people being nicer to each other because you can have a go at somebody, you can be nasty or you can try to go after somebody. You don't know what they're struggling with. It might be that thing that just tips them over the edge, mate.
2: Well, I think that's the problem we've got with the media at the moment. You know, everything's so negative and they're always trying to find fault with things. If we could actually just start talking more positively about what people do, find something, what people do well in their life, you know, and talk about the good things people do. Everybody does something good, you know, and it's much nicer when you can tell somebody what a good job they've done in this area and it makes them feel better so that they can feel a better person. And if they can then start to pass that on to other people. We get a better community and it's a much better society we live in and when we see what's happening in other places in the world and you realize how good and how lucky we are in Australia there's no reason for anybody to be whinging and carrying on about things because we haven't had to live some of those lives that some of those people have lived in the past you know and I actually get great value of watching you know the football when I watch it on the weekend and even though Port Adelaide beat Geelong the other night. I was going to say,
1: did Geelong
2: win? No, no, Geelong lost. But Aliyah Aliyah, who's from a Sudanese family, you know, and when he came out to Australia and how well he's done. it, And also the Australian 800 runner Peter Bold, you know, in the Olympics, you know, and how well he did coming from the background he did with his family. But his family had to flee that country so that they could get a better life for their son. And we have a lot of that with the migrants that we've had come to Australia. And it's fantastic to hear those stories, which are really positive and so good to see what Australia can do for you. We're really lucky, the rest of us who've been born here, you know, and we should be looking at how we can help people in that regard.
1: And Madison winning her gold medal today in the Paralympics was sensational.
2: Very good. That's the sort
1: of stuff we should be promoting more.
2: Absolutely. Talking about all those positive actions of people, you know, and I think when the Olympics were on, even though with COVID, with the lockdowns, a lot of people seemed to handle that a lot better while the Olympics were on than since the Olympics are finished.
1: Probably right. Yeah, probably agree with you. Well, you'll love talking to Gus. He's great fun, yep. but what he's doing in the space to prevent suicide is just so genuine and so admirable. It'd be great to talk to him.
2: And look, for all our listeners, you know, for the podcast, it's great to be doing this thing, Deb, to get some people thinking about different things. But, you know, if they can nurture club culture and build financial strength in their business, they can make a difference in the community, you know, and and that's what clubs are all about is doing those sorts of things. So if we can all do that and focus on that, it's going to be fantastic for the future of clubs.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you, Mr. Rafferty. I'm looking forward to co-hosting future podcasts in the future.
2: No problems at all, Deb. Thanks very much. And thanks for the invitation.
1: Beautiful. Thanks, Raf. So on behalf of Clubs Without Borders team, thank you to all the clubs, directors, staff we've worked with that have made our first year so successful. We've had an absolute blast. We'll be back when the lockdown ends. And thank you to my amazing team. If you've got any topics that you'd like Raf and I to cover, just send us an email at admin at clubswithoutborders.com.au. But thanks, Raf. Thanks for everyone to listening. And please, everybody, be safe. Be kind to each other. See you later.
2: Bye.